Hi everyone, and welcome to the first season of the Migration Podcast. The podcast is an initiative by the IMISCO Network. IMISCO stands for International Migration, Integration and Social Cohesion, and it is the largest network of migration scholars in Europe. Between the 1990s and the 2010s, we have seen an unprecedented movement of people due to increased resources for mobility in some parts of the world, but also because of countries becoming new democracies or opening their economic or trade borders, or because of conflicts between or within countries. Obviously, these different kinds of external factors compel very different kinds of experiences of migration. But what we've seen in recent decades is that more people are moving and living in other parts of the world than they grew up in or were born in than ever before. But the phenomenon of migration is not new. Nation-state borders are more recent than people's mobility. And migration research is important to capture the diverse experiences of the people it affects and a phenomenon that is indeed quite complex. And because this phenomena is so complex, human migration and mobility have attracted the interest of social sciences from a whole range of different disciplines. In this podcast, we aim to provide pieces to the puzzle to rethink migration and its many social, cultural, economic, political and emotional entanglements. My name is Fiona Zeiger. I work at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam. I have a background in development studies and in sociology. And in my own projects, I have worked on migration between the Philippines and Japan. I spent a lot of time in the Asian region before coming back to Europe. And my name is Jelena Sinanen. I'm based at the University of Sydney, which is quite far from Europe. Um, I've also come to migration research from an intersection of a few different disciplines. My background is I've got a PhD in development studies and my approach was contributing to an anthropology of development. So that's people's everyday experiences and routines um, in relation to development programs. And that was based on my fieldwork in Cambodia. I was then a research fellow in anthropology at UCL. I was part of an ERC funded project called Why We Post. You'll hear from one of our projects researchers later in the season. That project was a comparative study where the research team looked at uses of social media in eight different countries. My fieldwork for that project was based in the Caribbean island of Trinidad. Uh, Trinidad's got a large diasporic population for such a small country. And part of my work there looked at how family members use social media and other digital technologies to maintain relationships across distance. The speakers you'll hear from in this season take different approaches to migration research. Migration studies is indeed an interdisciplinary field attracting the interest of demographers, economists, anthropologists, sociologists, people engaged in cultural studies and historians. Migration research also attracts the interest of political scientists and psychologists. In this first season of the podcast, we ask four main questions. The first one is why do people migrate? What are the motivations, aspirations and drivers that push people to move across borders? In this section of the program, we consider things like what are the civil and political rights of people who migrate? How does climate change and environmental conditions serve as a push factor for migration? As we mentioned earlier, we're coming out of a period of many conflicts between and within states. How do these compel people to move? What about the intergenerational cultural norms and ties and around the economic mobility that people seek to achieve in their lives? 
There are different family sizes and structures that also influence the patterns of movements of people. And of course, labor markets and employment. People will tend to go where employment opportunities are better, where they can make more in terms of financial resources or achieve more in terms of their life projects and life aspirations. Policies also enable the different movements of people and also political situations and kinds of repressions and oppressions within countries. Poverty and inequality might serve to push people to work in other parts of their countries or regions that they might not have considered. And then there's the intergenerational factors of transnationalism where family members from previous generations might have moved, which invites or makes it seem easier for other family members to move. So those are some of the kinds of motivations or what have traditionally been called in migration research push and pull factors that influence the aspirations and the experiences of the desires to migrate. The second question we are asking is how do people migrate? What are the infrastructures and processes involved in people's migrations? So in this section, some of our speakers will talk about the infrastructures and forms of migration such as health-related migration high-skilled migration, um, an intersection of migrating for better lifestyles or retirement or because of low skills and semi-skilled professions where there might be more jobs in one area than others. Of course, there are structural factors such as closing of borders where people become refugees. And on the other end of the spectrum, people who might have migrated for work or for better opportunities years before might want to return to their countries of origin. We look at things like student mobility and international students, where studying abroad has become a larger market than ever before. In terms of some of the infrastructures that supports the movements of people, we look at civil society actors and organisations that enable people to move around freely. The flip side of that, of course, is where people are trafficked or smuggled due to closing of borders or due to opening of borders, where the movement of people can be more easily concealed. We look at digital or ICT factors that influence migration through information seeking, but also through facilitating social networks and facilitating social contacts that enable people to have the confidence to migrate and a sense of familiarity once they arrive in their destinations of choice. We consider the role of international and intergovernmental organisations in relation to travel and migration. So what are the kind of cross-border things that need to be set up in place for people to use, as well as the organisations on the ground that help people once they get there? These are some of the factors that we think about with infrastructures and forms of migration. The third question we are asking this season is, what are the consequences of migration? Migration can have social, cultural, economic, political, legal and emotional consequences that both individuals and societies have to deal with. Long-standing themes in migration research, for example, have considered the role of cultural identity and belonging. Things like cultural differences, not knowing local languages, not having the same sorts of skills, not feeling a sense of community, have long been the themes of concern for migration scholars. Things like people's media engagement, such as media representation or uses of media, also affects how much people feel like they belong or how much they experience positively the country in which they've arrived in. There are intergenerational consequences for migration. So, for example, for health and healthcare, ageing, taking care of relatives, making friends, raising children in a foreign setting, marrying, marrying between cultures. So these are some of the social and economic and cultural consequences of migration. 
The fourth and last question we are asking is who is involved in the structural processes of migration? It is not just practitioners and policymakers, but also a matter of governance, policy and legal mechanisms that structure how people move. So the most obvious example of structures that enable or disable people from moving are things like visas. And then once people arrive, the length of time that they have to work in a country or stay in a country to acquire citizenship. And often on the other side, statelessness can also result. The kinds of integration policies, so access to services, how people can access economic or political organisations to legally stay in one place will also affect what kinds of life they can lead once they arrive in a destination. In terms of work, employers, labour and trade unions will often influence how people experience work and as a consequence their livelihood. Mechanisms such as border control, immigration admission and policies around high-skilled or low-skilled migration and how long people can stay, for example short-term or circular or seasonal migration, will also affect how much people can set up a life once they've arrived. These are some of the issues that we consider in the fourth segment of our season. So if you're interested in hearing what experts in the field have to say about these four questions, come listen to us and subscribe. Thank you very much. We hope you'll tune in and let's continue the conversation.